Good evening. I'm greatly humbled to bring uh, God's word together uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. This is on page 1400 of your pew Bible, page 1400. John, in his letters to the ancient church, is uh, writing, reminding early believers uh, of the signs, the marks of what it means to be a true believer. Uh, many of them are struggling with their young faith, and John writes to encourage and strengthen them uh, by the very commands of Christ. Uh, again, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Listen and hear the word of the Lord. And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that we can come before you this evening, uh, hear from your word, and, and be assured uh, that your word has something to say to us no matter where we are. Uh, we pray that uh, this evening we would reflect well on your word and find in it peace and life and assurance, all because of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as a young parent, uh, I've realized that you can learn an awful lot from small children, uh, even doing the simplest of things. Uh, our children, it's a joy to watch them learn to walk, uh, to take their first steps, and to begin doing this thing that we all do every single day as we walk about. Uh, one of our children, though, had a, a particular uh, quirk as she was learning how to walk. She would take one step, take another step, maybe one more, and then fall to the ground. Uh, that, of course, is not unusual. But as soon as she hit the ground, she would burst out crying uh, as though she could never take another step again. And you could walk over to her and pull her by the hand, and she'd stand right up and take another step and keep going for another two or three, fall down and burst out crying once again. Uh, and as simple and, and silly as it may seem, uh, it seemed as though she thought everything was over. It was all over as soon as she fell for the first time. And I think all too often we as Christians may fall into the same trap. We find ourselves walking along in the Christian walk, uh, realizing that we've stumbled, and then we too fall in to doubt and fear that it is all over, that we can never get up again. And in this passage, John is writing to believers who fear they have fallen uh, and can go no further in the Christian life. Uh, and he's giving them a message, the same message that applies to you and me today. And that is that you should rest assured, for God's Spirit transforms you to love and follow him. Rest assured, for God's Spirit transforms you to love and follow him. I hope you grabbed an outline at the back to follow along with us. And children, if you're drawing a picture, uh, you've been uh, instructed to draw a picture of how God is changing you. Perhaps you could do a before and after. What do we look like before God transforms our life? And what things is God calling you to? Well, the first thing we should see as we open up this passage is that even as a Christian, you may face doubt. And we find this in verse 19, where John writes, By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Doubt, quite frankly, is a fruit of living in a sinful world. 
there has never been a time uh, that since sin entered the world that we have been completely free of doubt. Even the earliest of generations faced this problem. We need to remember, though, that doubt is not a sin in and of itself. Doubt is more like a fork in the road that allows us to go one of two different ways. On the one hand, we can hear and listen to uh, a voice that encourages you away from God, that teases you with uh, condemnation of sin, that, that tells you you cannot go any further. Or you may follow the fork in the road that drives you to a deeper faith in God. One of the earliest generations and clearest examples of a life lived by faith is that of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 17, God gives Abraham a sign and a promise uh, to him and to future generations. The Bible tells us that God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations and kings of peoples shall be from her. And the Bible very graciously tells us that Abraham then fell on his face and laughed. And God's response to Abraham's laughter is not scorn, it is not uh, rejection, it is not even uh, discipline. But God reassures him after he says, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? But God assures him of his promise. And the next thing that we see Abraham doing is taking Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Abraham stood up after falling on his face in laughter, and he obeyed God's commands. He was driven to faith and to believe in the promises that God gave him, and was not disciplined for this momentary doubt, but he fell instead on the promises of God. Trials of doubt open up an opportunity for you to either discard your faith or to fall into the arms of God's promises, to trust in God all the more. So we need to remember not to fear for the state of our salvation simply because we are doubting it. Uh, Doubt can indeed drive us to faith. Uh, These doubts are momentary afflictions. They are not a definition of our whole Christian walk. And so just like our daughter who would fall Uh, We need to remember that God often will take us by the hand and stand us right up again uh, and set us walking. Well, the question remains then, if doubt is not a sin, what is the danger of doubt? And the second thing that John shows us is that we must beware a doubtful heart, which keeps you from coming before a holy God. We see this in verses 20 and 21. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward him. Here, John sets forth two heart conditions, uh, condemnation in our heart or freedom from condemnation. And it is true that any and every one of us uh, sits, lives our whole lives in one of these two camps. Here, I think uh, it's interesting, the word that John uses for condemnation could also mean an accusation uh, or that our hearts accuse us. And I think it's easy for us to dismiss this passage saying that, well, my heart doesn't condemn me. I know each morning that I am saved and I don't have to worry about that or or perhaps my heart doesn't have anything final to say. Uh, But how many of us wake up in the morning and before we go to bed at night, something is eating away at the back of our minds, telling us of some sin we've committed, uh, keeping us 
from coming before God. And John does tell us that the real danger of believing the wrong voice in our hearts and in our minds is that it drives a wedge between us and God. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And the opposite is also true. If our heart is condemning us, we often lack confidence and boldness to go before the throne of grace. I recall a time uh, when I was working at uh, the job that I had before. I was at Seven Oaks. It was a sales job, a phone sales job. uh, And quite frankly, I was not very good at it. (laughs) I spent uh, three months uh, without a single sale on the phone. They had informed me that if I went one more month, uh, I would no longer be working for the company. And I remember sitting in my cubicle, uh, and if I stood up to take a phone call or or I I got up and wandered around, I could see my manager's office with a big glass wall. And he was always sitting there, uh, either out coaching people or sitting uh, looking at his computer to see what was going on. And somehow I knew, sitting in my cubicle, that every time he was looking at his computer, he was zooming in on my name, John Punt, zero dollars. And so this shame would come, I I just knew weeks and weeks and weeks of 40, 50-hour weeks trying phone calls and and with no results, uh, that surely there was nothing that I was going to be able to do to redeem this situation. Well, one day I got up and I made the long walk to his office past every other desk with every person watching me go down. I I knew it. All the eyes had to be on me. Uh, And and I approached him and I I simply said, Roy, what do I need to do? What am I doing wrong and and what can I do? And he answered me and he said, what did we teach you in training? I said, can you elaborate a little bit more? And he said, What did we teach you in training? You need to go back to the basics. And he walked me through each and every step of what it takes to be on a phone call. Nothing more, nothing less, he reminded me. Simply go back to the basics. And I think what John is calling us to do right here is a reminder that even in our shame, when it's difficult to go and find out the answer, you simply need to go back to rule one of being a believer. Go to God himself. He is the only one who can relieve you of shame. He's the only one who can heal you of sin. He's the only one who can wipe away accusation from your heart because he alone has saved you. God knows everything you've done. That's what John tells us. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. In the original language, that word literally is bigger. God is bigger than your heart. And perhaps you've had the experience, like me, of driving down uh, the the freeway and seeing in your rearview mirror one of those little smart cars and then looking over and seeing a a two-trailer semi on the other side. And you think, if those two uh, happened to meet, unfortunately, I think I know which would walk away uh, unscathed. And that's the image that John is presenting here, is that your will is this teeny tiny nothing. And God who knows everything, is so, so much greater. And if he has declared you free from condemnation, then his is the word and the will that you must hear. And may our hearts and our our disbelief lie mangled on the side of the road compared to God's word to us. The solution is so easy. Uh, John even references it a couple chapters before this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and relieve us of all condemnation. Well, the third thing uh, that John has for us is that doubt may keep us from coming to God, uh, but God has given us a way to look past this, a simple test, a gauge for us to see our true heart condition. 
and that is you must submit your heart to God, which allows you to rest confidently before him. We see this in verses 22 through 24. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. John suggests that we must examine our own hearts and see the proofs of God's work in our lives. As believers, we affirm, along with the Bible, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but that God has made us alive together with Christ. But here, John gives us a simple test to determine uh, where the status of our heart is. Do I keep his commandments? Do I do what is pleasing in God's sight? These are questions that are worth asking of ourselves. Am I obeying God? Am I loving my brothers and sisters in the church? Am I growing as a Christian? And if the answer is no to these, then you may not have confidence before God. You may come before him in fear and trembling. Uh, You need to confess your sin to God and find in him the saving power of Jesus' spilled blood. But if the answer is yes, then this is the work of the Spirit, Christ says, by this we know that we abide in him and he abides in us. John is not making up his own confusing language here, but he's being calling us back to a moment when Jesus said similar words in John 15. Uh, This is on the back of your outline, John chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Christ suggests, uh, in fact, commands us that if we are in him, our lives should be bearing fruit And Jesus, of course, shows us that the fruit we ought to be bearing is that we are following his commands, loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. Paul likens this fruit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 25. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The proof, the litmus test that John gives us is this. Examine our lives for the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of God's work in our lives. Putting away the sinful desires of the flesh and taking on what the Spirit has. Let us walk also in the Spirit. So if you find that you are not bearing fruit, or if you find that it's difficult for you to look in a moment of accusation, a moment of condemnation from your heart, to look back and see the proofs of God's work in your lives, then do what John suggests. Simply go to God and ask for whatever you have, whatever you ask of him, you will receive. So pray for these means of grace. Pray for faithfulness in Bible reading, in loving one another, in coming to worship services and hearing the word preached and digging in and uh, in confidence to come before him. 
pray for humility, that as we read and we hear uh, sin being brought before us, uh, either from God's word or from a, a loving brother and sister, that we would humbly accept that and understand how we should grow in him. Pray for transformation. Pray for trials like uh, these forks in the road of doubt that would drive us toward God, opportunities to reflect in faithfulness upon him. Pray for the preaching of the word, uh, that those who preach it would be faithful, that our ears uh, would be humble and listening to his word as, as, as it is preached. If you're praying, you're reading, you're worshiping, you're submitting, fellowshipping, loving one another, you're exhibiting the very fruits that Christ has called you to. You are following, and so you are abiding in him. So pray that his spirit would help you to realize the growth that is coming in your life. And as we see in verse 24, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This spirit is the comforter. And so pray that he would comfort uh, in times of doubt. Well, when we submit to God's commands and our doubtful heart is comforted by the spirit, what remains to be done as we seek assurance of salvation? God God gives an answer to us through John Uh, The answer is, of course, rest assured, for God's Spirit transforms you to love and follow him. We've seen that doubt can well up in anyone's heart, and we know that it can drive a wedge between us and God. We also know that God has made a way, and when we follow his command, there is life and peace. I've mentioned to some of you uh, that I had what felt like a miraculous spring break Uh, I had a lengthy to-do list up on the whiteboard, and as the week went off, I was able to check uh, most of those things. I came to Friday, and I looked up at the whiteboard, and every single thing had a check mark by it. It was a beautiful feeling to be able to to sit down on the couch on Friday night and kick my feet up and be able to rest and breathe. Of course, life being the way it is, on Monday morning, I woke up and remembered eight things that I should have gotten done and didn't. Uh, But what John is, is telling us here is that we ought to rest assured. Our checklist has two things on it. Our checklist reminds us that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us command. When we believe on the name of the son, Jesus Christ, we are remembering and recognizing the work of Christ, the only thing that can save and redeem us, the only thing that can call us out of doubt and condemnation. When we are loving one another, we are displaying this fruit. We are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so that checklist is not a list of things for us to have accomplished, but an opportunity for us to reflect on the completed and saving work of our Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we look to him and remember that the checklist is finished because of Christ's work. That we don't have to wake up on Monday morning and see a new to-do list. We don't have to wake up and try to invent something and, and work our own way to heaven. But to rest. So if you can sit and reflect and meditate and pray on God's work in your life and see that he is bearing fruit in you, you must remember that Christ has done the work. Your salvation is settled. Don't strive to save yourself, but remember the word of the psalmist. So in peace I lie down, I will rest and sleep, for, O Lord, you only will me safely keep. 
The Westminster Divines beautifully sum up these words that God has for us through John in question and answer 80 of the larger catechism, in which they ask, can true believers be infallibly assured that they are in the estate of grace and that they shall persevere therein unto salvation? The answer they give is such as truly believe in Christ and endeavor to walk in all good conscience before him may, without extraordinary revelation, by faith grounded upon the truths of God's promises, and by the Spirit enabling them to discern in themselves those graces to which the promises of life are made, the Spirit bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God. Such as truly believe in Christ may be infallibly assured that they are in the state of grace and shall persevere therein unto salvation. Truly, brothers and sisters, there is nothing left for us to do. When our hearts condemn us, there is only one place to go. Go back to the basics, follow rule one, go to God, and rest assured. For he is transforming you to love and follow him. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that the work of Christ has completed everything, that we do not have to strive for our salvation and earn our way into heaven, that we do not have to doubt our salvation every time a sin or an accusation or a condemnation comes up in our minds, but that, Lord, through Christ and the belief in his name, you have given us growth, you have given us the spirit to assure and relieve our hearts that we can come before you in confidence. And God, we pray as we go forth this week that we would come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace, knowing that it is you alone who heals our broken hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us respond to God's word by singing Psalm 62a from your blue psalter. This is 62a. John, as he gives this word to the churches, uh, is echoing words that are found in 62, uh, verse 8. This is the last stanza of this psalm. O people, at all times, on him rely with confidence. Pour out your hearts in prayer to him, for God is our defense. Let us stand and sing Psalm 62a.